We're just excited to continue to expand and see telemedicine grow, not only in Georgia, but across the nation, and know that this will probably be a standard model of care moving forward. That just because of COVID, there's no going back. You've kind of opened Pandora's box, and, and we are here to stay. Welcome to another episode of Advocates in Action, a podcast created by the National Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit that develops initiatives promoting equitable access to affordable quality health care through policy, action, and partnerships. Our primary objective is to prioritize the patient voice and health system delivery reform to achieve person-centered care. We are dedicated to amplifying the powerful stories of individuals and the collective needs of various communities across the country. I'm your host, Ashley Freeman. Today, I'm honored to speak with Sulema Salgado, who is the Director of Telemedicine for the Georgia Department of Public Health. Her passion for health equity doesn't end when she leaves her work office. She also serves on a handful of coalitions within her community that address health disparities. You can also find her on the road with her son who plays travel baseball. Thank you so much, Sulema, for joining me today to discuss the amazing work your team is doing. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. I'm delighted and can't wait to get into this conversation. Your telemedicine network is recognized as one of the most robust in the nation. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what your program does and the type of services that you all provide? Sure. So it's one of the most robust in the nation because it's a public health network. And there's so many networks of telehealth and telemedicine throughout the nation, whether it's through private practice, through hospital systems, um, through just private organizations. And for us, everyone finds it very innovative that a government public health agency tackled on telehealth and the capacity in which we did. For us, our goal was to connect all of our county health departments throughout the entire state of Georgia to telehealth capabilities. So people say, okay, Georgia, it may not be that big. Well, we have 159 counties in Georgia. Um, and of those 159, over 100 of them are rural counties. So to be able to say that we have capacity where we can video conference and or meet with our patients internally from county to county um, is huge for us. And that's kind of what makes this one of the most robust in the nation is that we from Atlanta or we anywhere in Georgia can connect to each other um, and communicate back and forth as necessary, not only for staff services, but for client services as well. That's awesome. And how did this program get started? Because you all have been doing this before COVID, before the rest of the, the country figured out how to do this. Yeah, so for us, it was one of those, we knew that a lot of smaller rural counties throughout the state were implementing telemedicine individually. So some of our health departments that are in South Georgia and Northwest Georgia, they have no access to any specialty providers in their counties. And so they would leverage relationships that they had with other hospital systems, other universities, private practices to say, hey, we have patients who need to see you or come to you for services, whether it's an hour away going to neighboring state Alabama or going south to University of Florida, Jacksonville, or Tallahassee Memorial. Um, and so we went down there and started seeing what some of these smaller health departments were doing and really understanding the needs in their communities, whether it was provider shortage, whether it was clinician shortages, whether or not it was just staffing and why their patients weren't really going to a lot of those follow-up appointments. And come to find out, it really became down to access. They knew that they had a referral to a provider that they were given by their practitioner. However, they couldn't get to those follow-up appointments. And then we started digging deeper and asking, so what was it that was causing you not to make those appointments? 
And they told us we had no transportation. We're a single car household. If our husband is at work or the grandpa's at work, um, the kids are in school and they get to school on the school bus. And I, as mom or grandma, I'm at home um, and I have no transportation to get there. I can't leave work. Or if I leave work, I have no childcare for my other children. And some of these appointments could be up to four hours away for a 15 to 30 minute appointment to see a specialist, specifically our pediatric specialist. A lot of those providers tend to be in metropolitan areas such as Atlanta or Savannah. And from South Georgia, that takes anywhere from two and a half to four and a half hours to get there. So those were full days people were having to take off work for a 15 to 30 minute appointment. And when we knew that that was the issue and one of their main barriers, we knew we had to react. And that's why we started implementing telemedicine. We said, let's work in our rural counties first, see if we can connect everybody to the providers they need. And then let's work our way in the metro area because even though we're in a metropolitan area, access is still an issue. Transportation is still an issue. I mean, just the travel time to get from one side of town to the other could be 30 minutes. So we knew that this wasn't just a um, rural issue. This was an urban issue as well. And so what are some of the biggest challenges that you encounter in making people aware of these services? Because like you said, you identified the problem and the barriers, but how do you let people know, hey, you don't have to miss these appointments anymore. We have a solution. So we started doing that internally, and that's how we knew we were going to find our niche with, was with our existing clientele first, is we have so many um, specialty services through public health that people come to, and then they're referred out for those specialty services because we don't have a lot of um, physicians within our network. There's a lot of nurses, nurse practitioners, um, and clerical staff, and WIC staff, and nutritionists, and counselors, but we don't have actual physicians on our retainer other than our district health directors and our community nurse workers. So what we started doing is we said, how about we make it easier for you? Since you know where the health department is and you come to us for a variety of services, why can't we make ourselves a one-stop shop? So while you're already here, our health departments are normally centrally located within each county. You could normally get there on a bus transportation, on a train, which there really aren't many in Atlanta, but you can get to us on a bus or a taxi. If you're going to the county offices, you know where they are and they're pretty visible. So if we said you're coming to us for your flu shot, you're coming to us for your immunizations, and while your kid's here for WIC services, let's go ahead and get you those referral appointments and have you see those doctors in our clinics. And the reason we also wanted to do it in our clinics is because we knew, again, knowing that so many counties are rural, the connectivity was an issue. Just because we're in Georgia and Atlanta is supposedly, you know, Atlanta is the metropolitan area, everywhere else has really low internet connectivity. Many of our counties are still on dial-up. A lot of our farmers still have issues with connectivity. So we knew that if we were going to implement a video conferencing system, our patients from their homes still wouldn't get the quality video consultation that they needed because bandwidth was not there. So we said, let's make it easier for you initially, and let's have you come to our health department. Now, we know with COVID, that's expanded, and we knew that a lot of people couldn't come to us. So we quickly leveraged some technology and work with local partnerships such as hospital systems and community health centers and libraries to say, please open up your Wi-Fi spots so that our patients can drive to your parking lots and sit on their smartphones or their tablets and connect back to providers because our health department centers are very limited and we want people to social distance, but they still need to be seen virtually. So we transferred a lot of our services from in-clinic telemedicine to personal telemedicine on your own electronic device. Wow, that's amazing because that was actually going to be my next question about how did COVID 
um, impact your services, but it seems like you all were able to respond quickly and, and find workarounds um, with those partnerships. So Georgia's been really innovative and has kind of always been ahead of the curve when it comes to telemedicine. We have really good legislators who support virtual collaboration and digital platforms. So when they saw COVID coming, as we did, and as we slowly started rolling out different campaigns and encouraging people to still seek services, um, one of the main messages that came out initially was leverage telemedicine. Providers, we encourage you to see patients virtually. We encourage you all to find out how you can start telemedicine. If you don't have telemedicine, reach out to the health department or reach out to other providers to see how you can connect for telemedicine consults. And with that, all the other stakeholders in the community came along and said, hey, if broadband is an issue, let's work together to make sure patients can be seen. And that's how the libraries came to play. That's how hospital systems, that's how local Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts with Wi-Fi said, hey, use our parking lots. And that's kind of where we came about. So we, we, we've taken this on collaboratively, no one has siloed themselves as an organization, whether you're in a hospital system, you're in public health, or you're a private practitioner. We've all worked together to make sure our patients could be served. How can your program be a model for other states implementing this? So for us, we kind of took a moment and said, you know, like, let's not be so prideful. Let's be inclusive. Let's be collaborative. And let's make sure we're not reinventing the wheel. And I think that's something that other states can really lean on is really just pausing before you implement a new program and say, what's already out there. Like, let's not start anything extra because that is very difficult for patients. We also heard from patients who would tell us that, hey, if you want to connect with us, we have to use this platform. And then to connect with this doctor, I have to connect on this platform. And then this other doctor only does phone calls. So we said, hey, let's all get together and let's set up steering committee meetings where we have stakeholders from all walks of organizations to tell us what they're already doing, what's going well, what barriers they're facing, and then let's collectively come up with a strategy to address it within our state. And I think that's a lesson that others should really take on is saying, let's look at what's going really well and expand on that. And if we're picking a new platform, let's pick a platform that we can all integrate together. Are there networks or, or places or conferences around telemedicine where you all can share your knowledge between states? Is there a communication system for that? So there is a thing called the Regional Telehealth Resource Centers, and they're nationwide. So they're all in different regions. I'm a part of the Southeast Regional Telehealth Resource Center, and that covers Florida, Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina. And I'm not sure if Tennessee is included in that. I think U.S. Virgin Islands is now an expansion of that, and Puerto Rico is trying to come in as part of that. Um, but I encourage everyone to look at your regional telehealth resource centers. They connect you with like-minded individuals. They can tell you the pulse of telemedicine within your state. They can connect you with any contacts currently offering telemedicine services in your state. They do a great job at telling you about policies and legislative changes and billing. Um, for us, that's been a huge change with billing, especially during COVID times. And then just connecting you to those resources and giving you templates and say, here's what's currently being done. Here's how things are working. And leveraging those contacts within that resource center to truly help you expand and build your program. They give you everything. They tell you reimbursable codes, what's allowed, if it's just video only, if video and audio is allowed. You can really look at what telemedicine looks like within your state. Are there any major differences in how HIPAA is managed over telemedicine? What does that look like? So HIPAA is really different according to states um, when it comes to telemedicine. So whether it's a live consultation, whether it's a store and forward consultation, if you record the mm -hmm. session, how you can record it. Um, for Georgia, we really do a lot of live 
real-time telemedicine consultations. There's not a lot of store and forward services that are currently offered. Um, but given COVID, we also know that audio has been just a phone connection has been considered telemedicine given the pandemic and limited resources. Um, but that is that varies based on state and you can really see that through your regional telehealth resource center. Do you have any tips for patients on how to navigate insurance coverage for telehealth visits since it is so different depending on where you are? Yeah, I think the best thing for patients to do when they're looking at telemedicine first is to reach out to their current provider and say, do you offer telemedicine? And what does telemedicine look like for you? Like I mentioned a few minutes ago, it could just be, yes, we're doing phone consultations right now. If I need to see you and I don't have a telemedicine platforms, many providers are able to just do a FaceTime or a Skype or a Zoom just right now because of COVID. Um, and then I think a lot of private practices are also just trying to look at and see what the patient demand is. If patients want this moving forward, I think that's something definitely that they'll start considering. But my first call to action would be call your provider first and see if it's available. Once they say yes, it's something they offer, then reach out to your payer through your insurance company and say, what does telemedicine billing look like? Most of them will say it's the same as an in-person and you pay whatever office visit copay that you would pay for it in person via telemedicine. Um, and that's what we see a lot. Now, some practices offer and charge an administrative fee for a teleconsultation, but again, that's a personal question you talk to your provider about. Have you seen that there are any demographics that you all serve, particularly maybe the older population that have had difficulty um, transitioning into telemedicine? And how have you all addressed that? I will say I was surprised with my older population. I thought that that was going to be a huge learning curve, but given technology advancements and the fact that so many grandkids and family members are using smartphones and iPhones and iPads, um, they've hit the ground running and they've been able to have those video consultations. I will say the hardest ones for us really was that initial family, small family with lots of kids trying to do a video consult and getting your kids to sit still in front of a camera to see those mm -hmm. providers. It, it was very different for a mom to, you know, not have the doctor just talking directly to the patient, putting their hands on the patient, where the mom kind of has to control the space, hold on to the child, have the child looking in front of the camera. Um, so that's kind of where that learning curve came from. So it really wasn't my older population. It was that younger population who was accustomed to doing things a little bit different. Um, but for the most part, it's really come down to the technology platform that's chosen. And I think that's really important is really making it as simple as possible for your patients to connect. There's these really cool elaborative platforms but for users to do individual, you know, independently and on their own makes it very difficult. If you've got, you know, five, six, seven clicks that you've got to make and download a platform and then download an app and then sign in and create a username and password, um, it makes it very cumbersome. And sometimes people just give up and are like, forget it, I'm not interested. So that's kind of the recommendation we've made is just keep it as simple as possible and know that people are confident in what you're doing and know that you um, are capable of doing it and just take it from there at the National Patient Advocate Foundation, we're really big on trust and communication between providers and patients. So do you think there is an element of trust building that gets lost when you initiate a relationship with a new patient over telehealth, or how has that been for you all? So that's why I feel telehealth is really important to look at at both video and audio. Now, we know that, again, in times you can just do an audio consultation, and sometimes those are just with patients that you already have a, rep a rapport with, and you know that patient, and it's just a quick follow-up. But I think just like with an in-person, there has to be a sense of trust, and you have to gain that trust on the video consultation. So maybe your first consultation is just a quick, you know, five, 10-minute check-in. Hey, how are 
you. Let's get to know each other. We're going to start meeting for follow-up appointments on this virtual platform. Did you have issues logging onto the platform? Is there anything I can work with you on to make sure that you're connected? Is your camera working? Are, is your audio okay? And then maybe that follow-up you know, presentation will be your actual appointment. Um, and if you can't, you know, take that much time off, then use those first, you know, schedule your appointment for 15 minutes instead of 10 minutes or 30 minutes instead of your 15, because we know that there will be technology issues and letting those patients know, hey, it's okay. You struggled the first 10 minutes. You are connected now. We are still here. It's not a problem. And I think that is something that a lot of our providers who are doing it really well have come to understand is that first couple times, the first one or two times, you need to be patient. You need to space your appointments out. You need to know that there will be a huge learning curve because it's just in time training. It's not anything that we can, you know, go to your home and show you how to do, or we know what kind of technology you're using. You know, an Android versus an iPhone versus a PC is very different. Even an iPad had. Some features are there, some are not. So just having patience initially and not giving up and knowing that the quality will still be there is really important. That's awesome. And I know you said some providers have been able to adapt quickly and easier. You know, we're always talking about the patients adapting, but how has that change been for your providers now? I think many providers were hesitant and many providers had not implemented telemedicine for multiple reasons, whether it was payer being able to reimburse for it, whether it was buy-in from you know, from a platform perspective and whether or not they thought their patients would actually want to use it. I mean, there's so much to be said of all of us wanting to see our doctor in person and wanting to see him quickly. And we complain when the wait times are long, but we sit there in that chair for 30 to 40 minutes until they come in and see <laughs> us really quickly. Um, and so I think there was a sense of um, their hesitancy just to know what that would look like and if their patients would actually prefer that. And I think this pandemic has taught us that we are resilient and that we do the best that we can and that we are open and innovative ways of doing business. And now I think the providers are starting to see the benefit of it. Even as we slowly transition to allowing more services to be done in person and everything is not virtual, I think some providers are able to see that they can leverage both. They can leverage in-person appointments and in between those appointments, squeeze in a couple patients via tele, whereas before they wouldn't be able to do that or they'd say, sorry, we don't have any appointments today. We'll have to see you tomorrow. Um, there's a sense of being able to include telemedicine now and speak to a nurse practitioner just in between on a tele consult or see your doctor in between based on his availability, his or her availability. So I think this has also been a, um, a time for everyone to pilot what telemedicine could look like. And you couldn't really, to say, to be honest, you couldn't really mess it up. It was one mm -hmm. of those codes were open, flexibility was there, platforms were there. This was really trial and error. See what your patients like, see what you like, see what worked out well and what didn't, and then know how you're going to navigate moving forward. So I think the providers that were initially hesitant are more open to it now um, if they've been able to try the platforms and or utilize telemedicine in some capacity. Yeah, I love what you said you know, it's the pilot season. It's it's the season of pivoting. It's the season of being resilient and and finding ways to get creative with it. Um, and I think that has been a benefit of this this COVID time. You know, something that we can learn from um, moving forward and and seeing that. And so, do your team have any ways that you all are adapting or changing now, moving out of hopefully <laughs> this COVID season? 
Yeah, so we really started looking at our platforms. Again, the conversation I had earlier about just knowing what works for your customers and what doesn't. We had a couple very cumbersome, very detailed, multi-step platforms that was really hard for our patients to connect and even figure out. Um, we also noticed there were some services that could not be provided via telemedicine. Regardless of how hard you tried, that patient needed to come in and be seen. And some people didn't like that. But we made it kind of a pilot season for us to say, okay, can this be done? And what does this look like? Can it be done? And why not? So we know that there'll be some services that we transition back to in person. But we also have learned that there's so many services that we never thought could be as great as they are virtually. Um, and we're going to keep those virtually. Our patients are going to expect us to keep a lot of these services patiently. And I think that's where the push is going to come from. It's, it's not us saying how much we can and can't do. It's just really seeing where our patients have been receptive and what the, you know, adherence to those have been and what the appointment times look like and realizing that patients are doing more tele than in person. Um, and we're going to start expanding on those. I mean, never did I think that we could have like a speech therapy consultation with a new child, you know, a two-year-old um, with a speech therapist through our Babies Can't Wait program on virtual with the mom. But it was really cool because then we realized, hey, we're in that, we're in that child's home environment. That clinician can look and say, hey, you see that toy right there? Why don't you grab that toy? If that's that baby's favorite stuffed animal, grab that toy and let's talk to that toy and have the little one talking back. And then giving tips to the mom with stuff around in their surroundings. So for us, it's a lesson learned to say um, the impossible is possible. <laughs> the limited staffing, we could always make things work however necessary. Um, and I think our staff really enjoyed knowing that they can be anywhere as well. They have their in-clinic days, but they also have their work from home days or if they have a consultation they need to take when they're going somewhere else or if they're off-site somewhere and being accommodating to those schedules um, was huge. It was really interesting to see also how some of those clinicians took some of those after-hour appointments and said, you know what, if we're digital learning at home, instead of us just completely shutting down our practice because we're working with our children, we're working from home, we're doing all these different things, let's just have, you know, some evening after-hour blocks and see how our patients respond to that and see how patients really fed to that. So I think we're going to start thinking outside the box and saying, okay, which services can we keep via telemedicine? Which ones do we need to transition back? And then let's look at our schedule, our staff and our clients and see how they want to do this kind of telemedicine thing that we're doing. And it's funny that you use the term thinking outside the box, because that's what you all have been doing forever. Like you all are pioneers. So the fact that there is another level that you all can go to and get more creative and more accommodating, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I was like, there's there's always something new to learn. <laughs> and then leveraging the technology and the platforms and really understanding um, other of our patients' needs, whether it be translations. And um, we struggled a little bit there with making sure that we also had proper translation services available via telehealth and incorporating those language lines into consultations. And then again, still knowing that regardless of bringing an in-home platform, some people didn't have technology at home, regardless of what we thought. We thought, okay, well, if their kids are home, they might have a child's laptop that they could use to to connect. Well, no, those laptops are kind of locked down. You can't add any new features. You can't explore certain websites. Um, again, internet connectivity is still being an issue. So we do know that there are some extreme situations in some areas that we can't avoid and services need to go back to traditional. Um, and in some cases, a phone call has sufficed during, these, during this pandemic. Um, but there's a lot of room still for more innovation and expansion of services. So we're really excited to see what comes. 
Are there any policies or programs or, or grant funding that's going to creating solutions uh, for families who are navigating those types of issues? So our governor's office has a broadband committee and they are really working at looking at those access issues. We've been telling families along the way and providers and hospital systems, if you have connectivity issues, ping us, let them know. They are working on expanding with some grant funds, broadband access in those areas and hard to reach areas. So we do know that there's a statewide rollout to try to address those needs. Um, we've also fostered really good relationship with some of those telecommunications providers in those communities to say, hey, during this pandemic, you need to help us. You need to step in and serve your community. If you're all about community efforts, let's make sure that we're connecting the right people. And if not connecting everyone, find one destination in this area that you're going to help us bolster that expansion and that internet so that everyone can go to that location. Um, so that's definitely something that we're working on collaboratively. We're also really, again, looking at our platforms to say, is it low enough in bandwidth that anybody can connect um, and still have a quality image. But of course, we still know that in some areas that's just not going to work. And that's why we're making our health departments those central locations to say, we're not going to make you drive the four hours. We're going to connect you to the same clinician. But you know, you might have to drive 15 minutes to our health department and be seen in the queue, whereas others might be able to do it from their home. Last but not least, what do you find the most satisfying about this program and your work and the results and the impact that you all have been able to make across Georgia? For me, it's always hearing those testimonials from the family of saying, I was on a waiting list for three months or four months or two weeks to see a provider. And while I got the follow-up appointment, I knew I couldn't get there and I wasn't going to go to it. And knowing that I had something so close and so easy for me um, really changed you know, our family dynamic and really made impacts in our children. I've seen testimonials and heard from some of our clinic nurse managers in our genetics clinic that they were on a waiting list to see a geneticist for six months. They already had two, two older kids who have genetic um, concerns and areas of concern and they knew that their new infant was going to have some genetic issues and knowing that they had to wait up to six months to see a geneticist was just crazy to them. They knew that they were going to already fall behind and knowing that with telemedicine we were able to get someone an appointment within two weeks um, and really changing that child's life and that family's life. Um, that's how we measure success is just knowing that impact and that our families are receiving the care that they need, that everybody is treated equally and everybody has the same access as anybody else in an urban area. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sulema. Hearing that that testimony and that victory story, I totally understand why <laughs> you wake up every day and do the work that you do. So thank you so much. That's my encouragement to everyone is to ask about telemedicine. Look how telemedicine is available within your medical community. And if not, really push your doctors to think about telemedicine and how that can impact and benefit you and their practice as a whole. I'm Ashley Freeman, and thanks for listening to this episode of Advocates in Action. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. We enjoy connecting with our listeners, so please visit our website at npaf.org slash podcast for show notes, resources, and ways to engage with us on social media. Thanks for listening.